I said this, um, I am not just going to go to church and I am not just going to have a relationship with two thirds of God. I need to know who you are, Holy Spirit. And I'm sorry. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Friends, check us out on Facebook and Instagram. And if you have questions or want to drop me a line, please reach out to us at information at discipleofcity.ca. And also, download the United Hive app, where you can share and read testimonies from all over the world. You can follow me on that app by simply searching my name. I post testimonies when we're on ministry trips and also in everyday interactions. United Hive app is available anywhere you download apps. My guest today originally hails from Saskatchewan and now resides in Sylvan Lake, Alberta. He's done a lot of driving around our vast country. He's also spent many years in ministry working with both Youth for Christ in Central Alberta and My King Ministries, part of which was managing the Timber Coffee Company, where he would have many interactions with the youth. And as my good friend Pastor Brian Charles told me one time, our number one ministry is our family. And he is focusing on that now with a big shift in his ministry life, which we want to chat about today. So please welcome Dan Jensen. What's up? Hey, Todd. So good to see you, man. It's been so long. You too, brother. How's it going? Oh, good, bro. I'm so jealous, though. Didn't get to hang out with you guys. Give you a big hug in Saskatoon, my old stomping grounds. Yeah, but Jesus. Yeah, your old stomping grounds. This is wild, eh? Yeah. I, I watched you guys on on the Facebooks and live stream and stuff. Man, it looks so fun, hey? Oh yeah, it was it was incredible, bro. It was awesome. <laughs> it was uh, like. God moves everywhere, right? And, and the stuff that we've yeah. done together and stuff, just so many more people in such a bigger a bigger space. Yeah, yeah, it was wild. It was cool, too, to see how those things run, you know, behind the scenes and all the yeah. different working pieces and stuff. And Tons, eh? Yeah. It's, it's, it's organized chaos. It's amazing. Organi- and it was quite chaos at the beginning, as I'm sure you heard with all the delays for <laughs> <Yes>. everybody. And <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. All that to say, I love you, and I wish I could have hugged you in person. Yeah. Well, we'll have to get together soon, bro. Love you, man. Yeah. I heard you and your whole fam are coming out to um, Sylvan Lake, Alberta, to come hang out with me. I would like that. Yeah. <laughs> How about August? One day. <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. I got an Airbnb in the basement, Todd. Do you really? Yep. We've been in this house for five years and we've always had rental income. So it's a full walkout, full kitchen, two bedrooms, uh, shared laundry, and we're airbnb it this summer. Really? Which is a wild adventure, but yeah, it's been good so far. Wow, that's pretty cool, man. Are you booked up for the whole summer? Uh, we got a few open dates in August. Like yeah, other than that, it's pretty full. Like open dates, like a couple days, or or like a week block. Oh, we could make a week, man. Yeah, because dude, I'm not coming to Sylvan Lake for two days. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Oh, that'd be rad. (laughs) Yeah. So, bro, 
Um, we were talking also in the green room as we do, cause that's what we do, right? We like to have a little pre pre pod chat in the green room. Um, and, and you know how we talk about how, you know, Jesus became real to people and stuff. And so obviously want to hear that, but then really want to just chat about to a lot about where you're at today. Cause as we were talking in the green room and it's such real life and, uh, mm-hmm. just, you know, really important to, to share all that. But, uh, dude, you shared your testimony with me here when you were in Ontario. So just, uh, could yeah. just share your testimony with, with how this all began for you, man, again. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I remember chatting with you at Adam's place there and, um, like you do, Todd, you're so good and you just show such genuine interest in people's stories and it's such a gift. And I've been listening to your podcast a bunch lately. Um, and just your intentionality, you create such a beautiful space for people to share stories. And actually I was listening to a couple today in prep for this and, um, I, I was just like struck by the power of everyone's story. Yeah. Everyone ha- has a story with Jesus and each one just like moved me, man. So all that to say, it's such an honor to reflect on my own journey and then to share it with you. And thank you for creating such beautiful spaces for people to do that. So yeah, thanks, man. I applaud you and your genuineness to just dig in and host that. Oh, well, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, Without further ado, (laughs) thanks for the (laughs) intro. Yeah, grew up in Saskatchewan, the land of the living skies, Uh, born and raised there uh, in a Christian family, actually. My dad grew up in New Brunswick in a good Lutheran household with a bunch of sisters and a mom. His father actually passed away when he was quite young. Um, my mom also grew up in a Lutheran family in southwest Saskatchewan. So I've got Lutheran roots. Um, both my grandparents, both sets, have been Lutheran believers their whole lives. And I actually am really, really thankful for that rich heritage of faith. Um, so my parents met, we were, me and my older sister, we were born into that. And we've moved around Saskatchewan like every five or six years And um, we kind of got used to being the new kid on the block kind of vibe. And my parents actually, I give them a ton of credit just because they grew up Lutheran. We didn't just go to the Lutheran church. Um, Like I'm talking small towns, Todd, like Saskatchewan is known for these like 700 to 1200 person towns, right? Just sprinkled throughout the whole province outside of Saskatoon and Regina, basically. And so there isn't a lot of options, actually, in a lot of those towns, right? There's Catholic and United and maybe an MB or maybe a Baptist. And so my parents actually looked for the church that just felt most, like, normal. Why, <laughs> why did you guys move around so much? Like, work? Your dad for work? Or? My dad was just a co-op manager. Yeah, retail and fuel and grocery. And my mom was a registered nurse. So she just picked up work wherever. But yeah, just my dad climbing the corporate ladder and yeah, just bigger opportunities and the bigger the town, more sports or a outdoor pool was a big vibe. Um, 
Yeah. And some of the towns I lived in, man, there wasn't even like a subway or McDonald's or any fast food, anything like it was just mom and pop shops, you know, which looking back is really beautiful. But at the time it's like, I just want a Walmart or a cheeseburger at 11 PM. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we, all that to say, I've gone to a Baptist Mennonite brethren, Lutheran, non-denominational church and from a young age it just instilled in me the beauty and and the difference in the body of christ and all just different church expressions right and the way people gather the way people worship um but it also forced me to kind of like disseminate what's tradition here and what's what's of real substance what's of like personal relationship with jesus do you know what i mean so that exposure was good, but then also like, man, why are we so different? And um, I listened to one of your podcasts, uh, Sarah, who grew up in an Amish community. Yeah. And you guys talking about how the communities are so different and yeah, how different denominations are. It's actually wild that you can have such a different expression, Um even actually within denominations, depending on who the pastor is, depending on what community or what flavor the worship leader is. Um, there's such a beauty in the, the, the difference in the body of Christ. And then as a kid, you have to figure out like, what are the things we hold on to and what are things that are actually pretty irrelevant and don't really matter all that much. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I grew up in a Christian home and played sports growing up, played music and just a good kid. You know, I feel like from a young age, I knew the Trinity and I knew the gospel and I knew the cross. And I would say um, that I like, I got it actually. And this is weird because when I look at, at my own story, it messes up my theology a little bit because I feel like I had a real relationship with God. I went to a Christian high school in Cairnport, Saskatchewan, where Briarcrest College resides. Um, I was VP of student council. I got like Christian leadership awards and I just owned it. And at the same time as a 17, 18 year old Christian on in the spotlight, I was living a secret life in the dark. Mm. I I was caught in, like, I thought I knew that smoking and drinking and um, swearing and lying was like wrong. And and those things displeased the Lord, but I was caught up in sexual sin and, and messing around with my girlfriend and like those heavy feelings on Sunday morning, when you sit in a sermon And you know what you did 10 hours before. And that guilt, that shame just like eats you up and you repent and you figure it out again until that next moment when you put yourself in a terrible situation. And so I feel like growing up as a Christian kid, I was met not so much with the substances or or struggles of the world, but in relationship, I was just getting like torn apart, actually. 
but it's not, I wouldn't say it's that I didn't know the Lord. It was that I, my flesh was just caught in sin. And there was that separation between my spirit and my flesh mm. and my soul was in the middle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I just really wrestled that dualistic lifestyle. And, and there was a part of me that was like, I just want to explore the world. I just want to see what's out there. Like it's, it's a heavy weight to tow that line by yourself. And unless you understand the free gift of a life with the spirit and fruits of the spirit and being filled with the spirit, um, it's really hard to live free. <laughs> and, and so I knew up, I, I grew up knowing the cross and God the Father, but I would say Holy Spirit was was kind of the one that maybe I locked in the closet, and and part of that was probably because my conservative Christian upbringing was also afraid of the Spirit. Do you think, like, did you know you talked about how you were living? Was that put across to you as a kid as rules, or was it something that you knew in your heart? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely rules. You know, I had read the word, and it talks about sexual sin and all that stuff. So it's both and um, deep conviction, and then outside pressure saying this is wrong and it's not going to help you, and also the spirit on the inside saying this is eating you up, man. So a bit of both. Yeah. But I think, yeah, all that to say, I would say what I've learned from that looking back is that I was trying to live my life following Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. So what was, uh, so when did things come clear to you? When, when did, when did the Holy Spirit impact your life and when did you really get free? Or yeah, realize, or, or like realize that, right, that you could walk in freedom because it's, it's not yeah, about, it's not sure. about rules. It's about guidance because. Yeah. You know. Short answer about six years later. And let's, let's go on that journey. Let's. You up for it? <laughs> so graduated, um, 2004. Uh, like I said, like top of my class, high honors, um, Christian leadership awards, provincials, basketball, like all the things, all the accolades. And I was a good kid. I didn't rebel. I didn't, I didn't do anything stupid that anyone knew about anyways. (laughs) (laughs) And I had two choices before me. Um, I got offered a scholarship to go to a Bible school in Saskatchewan to play basketball or to go to the university in Saskatoon and start my journey to to become a doctor. I had high hopes to get into medical school and do that. And I was dating my um, high school girlfriend at the time. And she was becoming a hairdresser. And we kind of decided I was 17, 18 we decided I'll go to Saskatoon and just start this long, arduous process of maybe getting into med school instead of taking a year 
and just focusing more on my, my relationship with Jesus, right? And potentially compromising my high school relationship. And um, yeah, that was a choice. <laughs> so I moved to Saskatoon. I'm on my own. And I've got, I've got this curiosity of what the outside world might look, smell, and taste like, you know? Um, for the first, like, six months, I was involved in a church. I was playing bass every Sunday. And um, within, a yeah, four or five months of my first year of university, I started to party. Because I went about it in, in this really rational way. I thought, okay, my whole life I've been told drinking is bad. And it's almost like the snake coming to Eve and saying, did God really say that? How could it be that bad? And so I asked the Lord this question. I was like, well, it seems like drinking in the Bible is permissible. And so surely a guy could have a drink in a social setting and it would be fine. And I felt permission or maybe I insulated myself from that truth or something and just went one step. And then it was like, well, if I, if I just got a little bit tipsy and if I just got a little bit drunk inside of a house and I'm not, uh, this is what I said, ruining my witness or trashing my witness to the outside world, who cares? Like that's, I still think that's all right. And then the next step was, well, if I got drunk out in public, how, how, how do they know my heart? They can't, they can't judge me like that. And then, so there was like four micro compromises. And then the fifth one I would say was the big turning point. Um, me and my ex, uh, we started to smoke pot in my first year of university, I remember it was a Halloween party and it went around once and I said, no, I'm not going there. And it came around the second time and I, I took a drag and like those little compromises led to full, like led to in a very short amount of time, full blown rebellion and hard heartedness and um, just like not a care in the world for, Jesus or going to church or Christian community. And it was actually insane how quickly it happened and how much I didn't care. And what I know now, and I'm not, I'm not blaming this on my personality type, but um, I've heard a couple other people talk about Enneagrams and I'm an Enneagram seven. And what I know now is Enneagram sevens are uber prone to addict addiction and addictive lifestyle behaviors. And so I would say, I just have, I've got FOMO, fear of missing out. I want to be where the people are at. And if the people are drinking, I want to be right in there. And I had this alter ego, Todd, like I'm sure you've been there too. Like I just love partying. I love being out. And um, I guess I didn't mention this, but I actually got married to the girl that I was dating in high school when we were a year out of high school. So the following year we got married. And so we were partying together and she was a hairdresser and I was at school. And, um, 
it got, I would say so bad that there was a time where we were partying like five nights a week, like nothing crazy hard drug wise or anything, but, um, just out all the time. Didn't spend any, any good amount of time alone or together or, um, with Jesus at all. And it just, um, yeah, Romans one, starting in verse 18, the heading in the message Bible, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase says, ignoring God leads to a downward spiral. And that's exactly where I found myself, man. I was just like, oh, hungover, felt like crap almost every day of the week. And the worst part is, is I, I, I thought I loved it. Um, I'd quit university by that point. I said, screw it with med school. I got a job working for Pepsi in Saskatoon. So, so get this, I'm 21. They paid for me to get my class one license and I'm making like 30 bucks an hour back in 2006, mm. working four days a week. And we were in the housing market in Saskatoon before it exploded. So we had a home and I had a Harley and we had a hot tub and we were just living the life where all of our other friends were still working at like subway and coffee shops, you know? And, and I, yeah. Well, just sorry. I'm kind of jumping back seven. What was it? Seven gram. I never heard that before. Where, where, where you said mm-hmm. prone to prone to like oh, any gram, any gram seven, any gram seven. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like a personality test. There's nine different personality okay. types. And um, I think Adam's an Enneagram 7 as well. It's just like a big people per- person, and um, you always want to be where the action is. Yeah. And I had I had no idea that there was like an addictive, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I, <laughs> now I get you. I guess I was an Enneagram 7 back to the enneagram <laughs> all of them all seven of them at once anyway. yeah <laughs> uh and so what do, they they paid for you your class one or whatever what is that for a tractor trailer yes yeah. okay yeah that's the saskatchewan license for tractor trailer air brakes and the full deal so okay it's just, just it's just interesting right because you know at the beginning or, or i asked you about rules that's kind of like the biggest misconception that i would have shared as well right Mm. oh if you're a christian you have to follow these rules but it's not really rules it's it's like fatherly guidance hey like you can do this stuff but this is what can happen right and so you go from you know and maybe there's big bigger purpose for you not fulfilling med school but you you are going to med school and then you go into this thing and then really quickly, like you said, you don't care. And now you're hauling a product that's going to give you diabetes and employ, (laughs) (laughs) help keep doctors employed. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) And I wrecked my back, man. That was a lot of weight every day. No doubt. But yeah. um, So anyways, yeah, sorry about it. So you're, you're, you're living the dream. You got the house before things explode. You, you've got money yeah. that, you, that, that back in the day, you're making some, that's some good money. You're making four yeah. days a week. Yeah. And so what do you start like, feeling now? 
Well, then, or do you still party um, for a while? My relationship with my parents is like, it's not severed, but it's definitely on the rocks. Right. So they're watching their, their son who is always so warm and so friendly and so open with them. Just totally, you know, I moved two and a half hours away. So I'm not home nearly as much and I'm not talking nearly as much and I'm just breaking their heart, you know, and don't care. And just living this narcissistic self-absorbed life of partying and, um, yeah, really don't care. Cause I'm just having fun and I'm tasting all these things, um, that I think are giving me life. Um, but the relationship with my ex-wife digresses to the point of, um, she ends up just checking out and we, we, the bottom falls out of our relationship and she ends up with a different guy who's in a friend group that's, you know, snorting Coke and it's just like crazy and it's awful. And I had this one moment where I really reached out and tried to restore. I said like, let's, let's get out of here. Let's go to Indonesia. Let's head to Bali and just take six months off and refigure out our lives. And she said, I'm done. Like I'm out. And so we got divorced three and a half years into our relationship. I'm 21 and a half or something. And it was the weirdest place that I've ever been in, obviously, or ever thought I would be in, especially from where I was as like um, top of my class in a Christian school, not that long before, you know, like how did my life get here? So I've got these like flash images of like, who am I? And guess who won in all of that? The party animal, actually. (laughs) So the divorce was finalized for another six months, man. Went rogue. Like, I'm just like doing all the things I couldn't do when I was married. And um, that's when I hit rock bottom. And I'm still loving it. I'm in a, a pit of filth and I'm as happy as a pig, you know, like just picture it, man. Like I was on workers comp from Pepsi cause my back was wrecked. So I, I was getting paid to not go to work as a recently divorced, addicted 21 year old, man. I think I went on like a two week bender just for a joke, you know? And I woke up at 11 and, riding my Harley every day and my liver's dying literally. And it's just bad. So fast forward to the fall of 2008, I'm still in this and I'm empty. I'm hollow. My heart is like done and I'm supposed to go out for beer and wings. And, um, my buddies didn't text. So I'm sitting on my couch and alone And I have this one moment where I feel this question prompted and it was just, maybe your friends aren't as real as you think they are right now. I was like, yeah, you know what? Maybe they're not. And that was the first question. The second one was, do you think you can do this forever? And I I was just straight up. I don't even know who I was talking to, I guess the Lord, but it just felt like this internal existential crisis. And I felt like if I keep doing this, I'm going to die. 
Like I was jumping off our roofs and bush jumping and just wild. Um, and in that, in that night, October, 2008, I remember saying to the Lord, I love this life. And I don't want to leave it, but I know I have to. So if you're still real and you're still out there and you, and you want me back, Jesus, I need help. And I cried out to him. And then I started crying, just weeping on my couch, First Avenue in Saskatoon. And then I, I grabbed a New Testament message version that my mom had just given me that summer. She's like, do you even know where your Bible is? I'm like, no, I think I lost it in the move. And she's like, we'll take this. So I grabbed this Bible that I kept by my bed's, bedside table. And for whatever reason, I cracked it open to Romans. And I started reading that passage that I said earlier. It says, ignoring God leads to a downward spiral. And it says like, oh man, if you do these things, God will basically hand you over to them. There's this moment where he like, he'll let you run your course. And all these things just spoke to me. It's like they're giving out prizes for those who can dishonor God and their parents and all this stuff. And I read the whole book of Romans that night and I was just undone. Something in my heart broke. That hardness of heart was just melted. Mm. And, and the Lord just broke in and he picked me up. That was a Tuesday night, man. And I went to work the next day and the guys were like, are you going to come out drinking on payday? And I was like, no guys, I think I'm done. And they're like, Oh, whatever. F off. Like you gotta come. I was like, no I, guys. Like, I'm done. I, I had an encounter with Jesus on my couch on Tuesday and they're like, screw you. We'll see you tomorrow. So Friday rolls around. <laughs> I know this is kind of long winded, but I just want to paint a picture of how drastic it was. And I want everyone who hears this to understand a um, couple things, how quickly Jesus can do a miraculous work. Mm, yeah. And I really want people to hear that that battle on that couch on that Tuesday night for me, I believe was one for me through the prayers of my parents and my grandparents, wow. because I, I, I can't understand how easy it was in that moment to just say yes to Jesus. And the only thing I can attribute it to is because there was so many pillow stained tears and prayers for that battle moment that all I had to do was just say, Jesus, I'm done. Even though I don't want to be done, I'm mm. done. And so if you've got, if you're a parent with a teen or a, a young adult kid, this is what I've said to so many parents that I've worked with in youth for Christ. Just don't stop praying because if you can do it for me, if you can redeem my relationship with my mom and dad, He'll do it for you. He can do it for you. So just don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't, don't lose faith. And it was so quick. I didn't need, I don't even know how many there, 12 steps. I didn't need rehab. The Lord just came in. He picked that thing up. And so instead of going drinking with my Pepsi buddies on Friday, I got involved in a youth group and a young adults group and a, uh, Sunday service at an MB church and a Sunday evening service at a Baptist church and a house church that just did like worship and prayer for four hours every Thursday night. Like I was just like, 
I went from darkness to light in five days. Wow. And I, I, I spoke truth about it with all of my coworkers, all the people who knew me as my party, my party ali, ali, alias, <laughs> my alter ego. They're like, what happened? I was like, guys, it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And so here, here's the close to your first question. When did freedom come? When did you embrace the Holy Spirit? It was this moment when I came back and I saw his goodness. And I said this, um, I am not just going to go to church and I am not just going to have a relationship with two thirds of God. I need to know who you are, Holy Spirit. And I'm sorry if I've like put, I've shoved you out for so much of my life, but I'll do anything to figure out who you are. I want to start and strengthen a relationship with you because I'm afraid of you. And that just took me on this journey of getting my hands on like anything I could from Jesus culture worship and Kim, uh, Kim Walker Smith and Misty Edwards and Jason Upton and all these like prophetic worshipers that were just like next level for me. And the first book I read was face to face with God by Bill Johnson. And just like, I want to know who the Holy spirit is. And I want to know if healings and miracles and prophecy and tongues are still for today because I've grown up for 20, 23 years not only believing they're dead, but never experiencing them, assuming they were dead. Mm. And so that just, that set me on, on this course, Todd, of like, if the gospel is true, I want to see it all. There's wow. no parts that I, I want to ignore or pretend they don't exist because I'm too afraid to grapple with them or, or because my experience hasn't proved it yet. And I just want to see. So I began to to pray for people. I began to pray and worship in the park with friends. And we talked to strangers. And yeah, man, like that was just the, I, I cut my faith. I cut my teeth back in that world. It was like a, a different religion almost, you know? Yeah. That's a powerful. A real deal. That's a powerful Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's so true of the power of prayer. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you said that for people to listen, uh, yeah. for people listening to, to keep praying for people in, in their lives. Yeah. Um, so did you do some more jobs? I kind of want to talk about to where you're at now, but before that, yeah, yeah. um, you, you know, you got into YFC was first, right? But did you do other jobs? Like, did you do, uh, other transport stuff around and before you got into YFC or, and how long I've, were you I've with? Never done, go ahead. Sorry. I've never done long haul trucking. I, I, I hate saying I'm a trucker. I'm a route delivery specialist. <laughs> 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 um, I went to Briarcrest, which is humbling. It was the place I escaped from. I ran away from in high school and I said I would never go back there. And the Lord just had a little chuckle and took me right back. So I went to Briarcrest for a couple of years, met my wife, Megan, who's amazing. She's from Abbotsford. And we met at Saskatchewan. 
and she worked on a dairy farm and I was working for a grain farmer and I was hauling super bees full of grain, 42 tons of grain down the highway, baby, just ripping. So I worked for three or four years and we paid off all of our student loans and all of our debt. And, um, yeah, so I worked there for four years and, um, then we moved to Alberta. We had a traveling worship band actually called captive and free. And all of us were, we wanted to get out of Saskatchewan. So we ended up moving to Sylvan Lake together, January 1st, 2015. We had never been to this town before. We knew one person and she was the lady who rented out her townhouse to us. And we moved here and uh, we did a couple tours to like Vancouver Island. That's actually how I met Francisco way back in 2014. Um, That's before you were with YFC? Yeah, man. When we were just a traveling worship band. Cool. And then we started a popsicle company and that uh, like handmade popsicles, we called it ice lolly. So like fresh fruit and it was all cool. And that actually sparked something entrepreneurial in me that I didn't know was there. And it was so fun and so challenging. Um, and it has a point. That's, that's why I mention it. But then I did that. And then I hauled sod, like a super bee full of sod down to Calgary for a bit. And just really like directionless because my goal, me and Meg, when we got married back in Sask, we're like, God, we don't, we don't feel like we're career people. We don't feel like we just want to live the normal life. Like we want to be obedient to you. We want to give you our yes, whatever it is. That's why the band, that's why the popsicles. Um, I toured with my buddy's band for a little bit, just on the West coast. And we we're just directionless and we we're, so we we're broke <laughs> jobless. And we had just found out we were pregnant with our first kid. And me and my wife had this moment, Tal, where we're like weeping. We're like, God, help. Like, we need you, man. Like, something has to come through big time. And like he does, within a matter of weeks, I started working for an indoor skate park. I started uh, the process to get hired on with Youth for Christ. And that all led to starting Timber Coffee, which you mentioned, which was birthed out of this entrepreneurial spirit that I had just discovered through our popsicle company. And so the whole thing was just this momentum and trajectory. And my buddy Colton came into the skate park. So yeah, I started with youth for Christ pretty much January, 2016. And I did that for five years and there's so many stories in there we had such favor with town, both through timber as a business and the principals and town officials. And like, it was so good. We saw salvations and baptisms and healings and crazy kid chaos at the skate park. And it was so fun that I met Shepsky through YFC events and we hit it off in Hamilton back in 2017 and uh, just love YFC so much. I love the people, love the organization. I love the, the freedom of playbook to even do something as crazy as like a coffee shop as a ministry space, you know, like, man, I, I was learned, I, I learned and was taught and was stretched so much in that five-year season. I'm so grateful. Awesome. Awesome. So now, so 
so you guys, um, while we were together at a couple of Every Disciple Sent events more recently, and now there's a little bit of shift uh, going on in your life. So what, uh, now you have three kids, right? Three kids. Three little kids. So that's busy, busy. And so what's, um, what's going on in a shift in your ministry life right now? Like you, you were saying in the green room about how, how difficult it is traveling a lot in ministry when you got little kids and, and you're leaving your bride behind with them. And I can relate to that too. Although I obviously didn't travel as much as you, but just going and she being the one that prayed for me is left back at home with the kids. So yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah. After YFC, me and my buddy Colton, um, we jumped out of that boat into this little dinghy uh, called My King Ministries, which was this license to just run the house churches that we were a part of and really focus on empowering people to share the gospel and just be everyday disciples. That was our heart. So hooking up with uh, Disciple City and EDS, Every Disciple Sent was just a no-brainer. And I remember... Uh, sitting with Colton and he he was my compadre. We did everything together and just chat. And I was like, man, I never want to leave this. Like, this is it. This is my life. This is what I love to do. There's so many opportunities. And like you just said, um, I don't think, well, my wife wouldn't say the same thing just because her world was so different than mine. And even though she supported me in, in all these ministry things, it was just really tough you know, being a stay at home parent is wild and crazy and isolating. And so we kind of felt these rumblings of like, man, maybe we just need like a sabbatical or something to, to refocus and retool and even reconnect me and me and Meg, I'm talking. And so we're kind of wrestling through the sabbatical question and we've been in ministry for seven years. So even like biblically, you know, it's a seven year cycle of, working hard, but then resting. So we felt invited maybe to look at um, Sabbath. And just in January of 2023, that was granted to us. And after 30 days, um, for whatever reason, me and Meg both knew it was time to resign from My King Ministries, which had only been two years. And it was like, it was so exciting and and real for me, that was honestly a really hard season to, to like give it up or disappoint the Lord or something. So in that, in that time, me and Meg were really connected and we came up with two non-negotiables. We want to do ministry more together and we want to run with like healthy family, whatever that looks like. We want to find that tribe to just go with and, in a very humbling set of events, the Lord brought me back to trucking. (laughs) So I hadn't trucked for seven years and I literally thought of letting my license just expire because I'm full-time ministry. I'm never going back. And uh, here I am. So for the last four and a bit months, I've been driving a semi again, a transport truck from central Alberta up to Edmonton or down to Calgary and unloading. And, um, man, the first two days taught in March, I just cried. I cried for eight hours straight in the semi. Mm. 
I felt like I had let down God. I felt like I disappointed him. I felt like I had let my ministry chance go out the window. And then I felt like he just stopped me. <laughs> he stopped my babbling and my weeping. And he just said, this isn't a mistake, Dan. He said, this season that I'm bringing you to is rest, it's recovery, and it's a refocusing for what I have next. And why are you trying to shirk it when I'm inviting you to spend 10 hours every day with me, with my presence? And I just wept. Yeah. I lost it. And from that Friday to that Monday, my whole perspective changed. And it's such a gift to sit in a semi alone after being with people for the better part of seven years and pouring out. And I felt like God said, don't, don't shirk this invitation. I just want to pour into you. And the other pouring in that we're gearing up for is something I never thought we'd do. We're, we're accepted and heading to Kona, Hawaii this fall. We're going to go do a, a YWAM as a family. And it's a part of that reconnection uh, between me and my wife and me and my kids, you know. And we just want to do life as mission missionaries or evangelism type people together you, you, i want my kids to be a part of that i want my wife to be next to me in that yeah you're doing that over the winter yep well that'll be tough eh? in kona i, I i'm so <laughs> sad thinking about the five feet of snow will leave in sylvan how how did that come about is that something that you applied for or, or is that an opportunity that came to you guys or um in this moment of like, I might not have a ministry job in a month. Lord, what are we doing? <laughs> what What's next? And um, me and Meg had set apart an hour, one specific evening to just ask God for that next picture, next piece of the puzzle. And instantly I just, I heard that voice, that passage in Isaiah that says, here I am, Lord, send me. And I was like, okay, that was I was wild. So I just journaled it down. And we had asked about 10 people to help pray and discern with us. And this good friend of ours messaged a voice message the next morning. She said, as soon as I prayed for you guys on what's next, I heard this verse from Isaiah. It says, Isaiah responds to the Lord. And he says, here I am, Lord, send me. We're like, what the heck? So we looked at YWAM and we checked it out. And at the very bottom of the thing, it says, send me. And, uh, so I don't know, just three confirmations that, yeah, we applied for it and feel like we're just going to get poured into, and there's a DTS that's family based. So our kids are fully a part of it as well. So that's really cool. That's really cool. So dude, let's, let's, uh, so this is all good, right? Cause you, you transitioned, you're doing something, uh, like you transitioned out of ministry back into a job that you had done before and then boom you're going to Kona Hawaii but share a little bit about what we were talking about in the green room about the the realness of of in between even knowing that you're going to Kona which is awesome yeah um just share a little bit about how the enemy has been messing with you yeah. 
I tried to get out of this podcast this week, you guys, <laughs> to anyone who's listening. Todd said, let's do it. We've been talking about nailing down a date for a while. I literally just said, Todd, I'm actually just not in a good place, man. Like, can we just do this when I get back? And I'm feeling good again after Hawaii. And um, Todd just discerned that sentiment very well. And he just said, no, man, let's do it. So here's the realness. Um, this is probably the weirdest situation I've been in since I've come back to Jesus 14 years ago. Something like that. 15 years ago. Um, I feel like my season right now is an absolute desert. Not so much spiritually, but um, a pastor by Edmonton said this phrase that like stung me so good. He said, it sounds like you're in a desert season, but a desert isn't meant to kill you, but it, but it is meant to crucify you. <laughs> I was like, can you say that again? <laughs> and he did. And I just got rocked by it, man. Cause the Lord is, is, putting to death he's crucifying so many parts of my flesh that i even thought were good things like identity and ministry and this is what i do and this is what i get to share and this is how i get to him and the lord just said like just stop just be my son just be with me you don't have to prove anything you don't have to have you don't have to have a testimony to show what you're doing for me you get to, but you don't need to. I don't require that of you. And so I just feel like the Lord is stripping me of so many things that I've held on to, that I've built up in myself, that are all good things. And he's just saying, you just have to be a son. You just have to surrender your life, your your motivation. So here's what I here's what I had to do in the early days of trucking. This is all there is. This is all there is right now. Don't think about the conference in Saskatoon. Don't think about just be faithful to the moment. Because here's the reality, you guys. I don't work for a ministry right now. I don't have a title or a platform. But I do have an opportunity every day that I go to work. Every day that I show up to a shipper's yard at a lumber place in Edmonton or Calgary. And I get to have the same dialogue with the creator of the universe. That's simply this Lord, what are you doing? God, what does this person need to hear in this moment? Because I think what, what truly being a disciple means and sounds like is I'll do anything for you, Jesus. You gave everything back to me. And I will step out and I will look like a fool just willing to pray for that guy's healing. And honestly, man, there's been like some cool testimonies in the trucking job, especially in the early days. And now I'm just kind of discouraged that I feel like there isn't as many opportunities or people aren't as receptive to prayer or I see they're limping, but they won't let me pray for them. Or I tried to pray for that guy. And he's, he literally said this to me last Friday. He felt he's got fluid on his kneecap. And I said, can I pray for you? And he goes, don't you know you're supposed to pray in secret? You're not supposed to tell people you're praying for them. 
And I said, don't you know that Jesus laid hands on his on people and just told the pain to go? <laughs> so, man, it's just that I'm in the throes of getting up every day. And simply, there's a guy in Red Deer. He's a missionary guy, but he's so humble and he's so down to earth. Him and his wife pray this and say this every day. God, in a city of 100,000 people, we know that you are hot pursuing a hundred of them for sure. It's an arbitrary number, but they said, we trust you that you're going to lead us to one of those people today. Give us eyes to see who they are and give us the obedience to say, or to do whatever you're asking us to do to those hundred people that are so close to that moment of salvation and repentance. And so I try for better, for worse, you know, I feel like that's my yes to the Lord in this season of desert and um, tiredness and discouragement at times, just to say, God, I know you're pursuing people all around me today. Show me who they are and, and give me the boldness and the uh, energy or perseverance to just give you my yes and encourage them today. And sometimes he might just want to show us stuff, eh, bro? Mm. right so like i'm really glad that you shared that because that's kind of that's real right whether it's somebody who is in ministry and then now is not for whatever reason like yourself or somebody that goes to a stadium event like uh like come together in sask or whatever or a smaller thing somewhere and it just has a radical experience, crazy experience fired up. And then eight, nine, 10 days later, they're just living life and can get depressed. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to see. But not only is there opportunities, but, but, uh, he, he might just want to show us stuff, but even that guy that, that you, uh, that he said, Oh, you're supposed to pray in secret. And, and you said, well, don't you know, how did he respond to that? When you said that, that don't, you know, that Jesus lay heads. He just shirked it off and complained about other things. So I just, it was a quick like, hey, I just bless you in the name of Jesus. Pain, get lost. And he didn't even hear it. But you know what? Just like that intercessory prayer doesn't matter. It, it changes stuff that's in that vicinity. And you know what, man? You never know, right? What can happen? I, I yeah. prayed for a woman in a subway who during COVID with masks and all that stupidity and, and it was so awkward and so weird and seemingly nothing came out of it. Right. When, when we walked out and long story short, later I heard from a friend who knew somebody who worked at the store that she did, that she actually, she got healed or pain left her leg and she went back to work and told everybody what happened but in the moment it was oh this you know gosh that was really weird and probably thinks (laughs) so we never know right what's gonna happen yeah man you got can i tell a quick story in like 75 seconds let's see if you can (laughs) yeah wish me luck there was a young kid that came with and we got talking about jesus he says he believes but like doesn't really know what that even means so I pull up my phone and I share three circles with him and he goes, he starts cussing. He's like, that's crazy, man. That makes so much sense. And, um, 
he's complaining about his shoulder the whole drive back. So right as we're about to get to the yard, I said, hey, man, I've been wanting to ask you this for a while now. Can I just pray for your the pain in your shoulder? And I believe God will heal you just straight up. And he goes, oh, man, I'll take anything. So I put my hand in the semi while I'm driving on his good shoulder. And I just said, in Jesus' name, I just declare healing over this your shoulder. And he starts to cuss. He's like, holy, what the? He goes, bro, that, that's crazy, man. My whole arm is just hot. It's fire. It's He's like losing his mind, man. And so I gave him that message version Bible that I was telling you about that I had just took the, to the truck that week. And he's been so fired up about Jesus and he's I'm sending him podcasts and stuff and sermon series. But yeah, I, God has been so gracious and I've seen incredible things and people have been warm at times. So yeah, even in the desert, man, there's still fire. Yeah, absolutely. And we just got to keep remembering that too, right? Like there's yeah. not heaps of animals walking through the desert. Yeah. But the ones that, the ones that you might come across, you know, can teach you something or need something. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good season, man. It's a good season. It sucks, but I wouldn't trade it for, for anything else right now. Yeah. And bro, I just want to encourage you because when you're in ministry doing stuff like you guys were doing at the coffee shop or you were doing little EDSs or when you have an event, the people that come to it want to go, Mm. right? But the people that you're encountering in your everyday, in your work or whoever's listening, wherever we all work, they're not going to these things, right? Because they don't want to go. So somebody has to go to them and and plant seeds or have encounters, even if they seemingly go nowhere. So that, so that one day the Lord will touch them and then they will go to one of those things to have a deeper learning experience or encounter or whatever. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. So you're on a mission. I'm on a mission. You're on a mission. And I feel like you kind of mentioned it briefly earlier i'm listening to a couple podcasts besides should only be listening to one (laughs) one's a (laughs) he's a counselor out of tennessee his name's john deloney huge shout out to john deloney he hosts like a radio call-in show but he's a believer so he spits truth and man i've learned so much about my past my upbringing my resentment my bitterness like just listening to that podcast is teaching me how to look into the face of my kids every day with my hands on their cheeks and just say, I love you. I see you today. And they just light up, they melt. And like, I wasn't doing that a year ago. So even these really basic things, I'm just like getting deposited in my life right now. Same thing, just being intentional, chatting with my wife. And man, it's, I'm being built up in a lot of good ways right now too. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome, man. Um, dude, this is this time's flown by. That's because I talk talk so quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Dan, um, just a final question for you, dude. Um, 
as you're as you're doing this as you're doing your job now if you um you go to um i don't know a delivery place a place where you're stopping to do a delivery and you get chatting with somebody or a young guy who's maybe who's maybe leaving that for ministry so you guys make this connection this jesus connection and stuff and they're leaving for ministry and then they're just fired up as you know people get right and they're just wanting to go they're going into it 100 miles an hour yeah um what what advice would you give someone in that moment to not discourage but you wanting to encourage them but knowing what you know now of going into something say they're married as well they just got yeah. married so they're so excited because they just got married now they're going into this ministry but their wife's not in it yeah <laughs> it's like how do you tell somebody the honest truth without being a coming across as a cynic you know <laughs> pessimist yeah <laughs> um I actually, I feel like I just had this revelation with a buddy. Our families were camping a couple weekends ago. And I felt like the Lord said, you guys get so worried. Your metric is how bright and how hot your flame is burning all the time. And I feel like he's actually more concerned with, is it still burning now? Is it still burning now? Is it still burning now? Across decades. And I think the whole point of that is um, God is so much more concerned with our everyday faithfulness to him than he is with what we do for him or how fast we can run in ministry. And I feel like for me, what the Lord's showing me is at the end of my life, I think he'll be just as, if not more concerned with how, how I looked at my kids every day when I got home from work. And how I stewarded, it was my grandma's birthday today. So I called her and we FaceTimed. And I feel like God is so concerned with that relationship. As much as the EES school, as much as, you know, a big conference or listening to this speaker or having that impartation and all these things. So I think if I was, I was giving a young guy advice, I think I would say, just be faithful faithful to every day that you get it doesn't matter what ministry you're part of or even who you're running with um just be faithful to the lord in everyday situations starting with your wife and your kids and your neighbor and then look for those opportunities um to be the hands and feet of jesus everywhere you go um because i think the lord's more concerned with our faithfulness than our productivity um, and I would also say this <laughs> house church and authentic real community has been like 100% essential for me and Meg like I would say our life in Sylvan Lake has flourished because we've had strong community and fellowship so get involved in a good group of people that you can have a blast with and pray with and be poured into from um that rich authentic christian community is paramount for relationship so find good people and be faithful to the lord and fan into flame that spark 
that you've had for a long time, you know. Amen. It's awesome, bro. Bro, thanks for thanks for sharing today. Thanks for uh, letting me bend your arm to to come on and share <laughs> something real. <laughs> Appreciate it, brother. Thank you, man. What an honor. Talk to you soon, brother. See ya. God is more concerned with our everyday faithfulness. Man, that was a really powerful statement there. More about our faithfulness than our productivity, friends. Friends.